I'm wondering, are you like me? Have you made frequent visits to IKEA over the years? It starts off innocently enough. You go there seeking affordable furniture, decor, and household items. You're attracted to the array of choices, the clever Swedish designs, the customer experience, where you're snaking in and out of the showroom, and then grabbing a large cart and tracking down your desired furniture purchase in the warehouse. And along the way, you pick up some wonderfully smelling candles, a small but useful lamp for your desk or den, a really handy container set, items to enhance your kitchen, and before you know it, the vehicle you have sitting in the parking lot becomes a U-Haul for the merchandise you just scored. But here's the thing. IKEA is having an impact on your decisions, even the way you make financial decisions. And the reason is probably not what you're expecting. Join me as we reveal how the experience you're having with a furniture store is impacting the way you manage your money. Today on Fin Wisdom. Hello, I am your host Joel, and this is the second episode of Season 4, where we are continuing to focus on the theme of empowerment. And today's podcast is entitled, Our Love Affair with Ikea. We're going to revisit that love affair in a few minutes, but I'd like to start with a few intriguing tidbits of historical learning lessons in the world of consumer products and customer experience before we dive deeper into our emotional connectivity with IKEA. So let me take you way back when to the year 1933. A futuristic food product was developed, something unthinkable of the time, something that would revolutionize the world of desserts. I'm talking about the introduction of cake mixes. Outstanding! And yes, we're starting off with a conversation about sweet treats. Because if you follow Finn Wisdom, you probably figured out by now that I have a weakness for sweet treats. So, over 90 years ago, the world was introduced to a revolutionary solution to baking a cake that blended dehydrated molasses with dehydrated flour, sugar, eggs, and other ingredients. But by the late 1950s, the American public reduced their consumption and sales became stagnant. In fact, they were slumping. Now, back in the 1940s, a little bit earlier, when several big companies were questioning whether or not to add dried eggs into the ingredients into the cake mix, it became a heated debate once again when sales were slumping in the 1950s. This is where Ernest Dichter came into the picture. He's an American psychologist and marketing research executive who had a keen interest in what motivated consumers in terms of advertising, communications, management, and politics, and their influences on consumer consumption at General Mills. In several studies, he explored emotional attachments to cakes and baking, specifically with housewives, who were more prevalent as homemakers at the time. This is where it gets interesting. So, Dichter's research revealed that the simplistic nature of cake mix instruction to just add water and stir made women experience guilt for using them. 
It made it feel like a self-indulgent activity when there was less involvement required to make the dessert. So that combination of guilt and self-indulgence with regard to attitudes toward cake mixes gave way to feelings that, yes, it does save me a lot of time, but I really shouldn't because it makes me look less adequate. And so the question arose, what activities are required to make housewives feel as though they were presenting a, quote, homemade cake, to make them feel as though they had really baked it themselves in order to enjoy the emotional rewards? On a side note, I too am a big baker. I bake breads. I even bake my own bagels. But one of the things that I like to bake is often a pumpkin pie. And this cake mix question does come as a quandary to myself too. Can I consider my pumpkin pie homemade if I decide to buy a pre-made crust? If I decide to buy the pumpkin filling in a can? Dichter's advice was to leave the homemakers something to do. And in this case, they removed the dried eggs from the ingredients and thought to leave it up to the baker to add fresh eggs, which in turn made them feel as though they contributed to the cake's success. General Mills and other manufacturers of the day took that advice. Now from that point, sales once again began to exponentially grow in the cake mix category. To be fair, there are critics of the egg theory thinking that other factors influence the sales. Well, for one, quite simply switching to fresh eggs definitely made the cakes taste far superior than just using the dried eggs. Number two, many of those manufacturers leveraged advertising to promote that fact that using it was helping you bake a cake. Helping that do-it-yourselfer versus we-can-do-it-for-you that's also a common debate when it comes to many consumables we purchase today. Trying to decide which does the American population prefer, do it for me or do it yourself. Let's get into that and where all this discussion is heading when it comes to managing your money after this brief message. The month of April is known as Financial Literacy Month, and it may have come and gone fairly quickly, but I'm curious. Did you start building any new habits to help improve your own financial wisdom this year? If you didn't, fear not. There's an old proverb that says that the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the next time to plant that tree is today. In one way, you can feed the financial seeds in your mind and improve your relationship with money is to continue to listen to Finn Wisdom. And what I'm asking is, if you like the podcast series, why not help others you care about benefit from those conversations who also have a desire to improve their own ability to manage their money? So if you enjoy what you hear, please share the experience. And many thanks for being a loyal listener and for your ongoing support. Before the announcement, we were talking about how adding eggs to a cake mix changes the offer from a do-it-for-me to a do-it-yourself activity, and somehow that changed our emotional connection to the results. 
You see, getting what you want often increases satisfaction we derive from a product, service, or experience. However, when you participate in that endeavor, you tend to value them higher. Do you remember way back when, in the very first episode in season one, we talked about the endowment effect? Well, participation to achieve a solution increases that effect. As an illustration, consider the Build a Bear store. Maybe you're young enough that your parents took you there, or maybe you are a parent who took your child there. To experience the joy of creating your own fuzzy, lovable stuffed animal. Now, I acknowledge that many of us may have received or purchased a stuffed animal we fell in love with at first sight. But if you are someone who experienced the build a bear process, knows the influence of customizing your own huggable, snuggable buddy. Aww. But this do it for me. Versus do-it-yourself experience can be witnessed in even our daily routines and purchasing habits. Let's say you need to run an errand to your favorite grocery store for a few items, and when you find what you're looking for and are ready to check out, many supermarkets provide a choice: Do you want to wait online and wait for the next cashier to ring up your items for you, or are you someone that heads toward the self-checkout registers? Some people look forward to the engagement they have with the cashier, or it may be the number of items that you're purchasing. Maybe you've struck up a lively conversation and have built a pseudo friendship with that person. It adds to your experience. To some, that has real appeal, and I admit sometimes that's nice. But more often than not, I'll pass because I don't like getting stuck behind a line of friendly banter. I prefer to go to the self-checkout. I like that I am in control of the experience. That I can often get myself in and out quicker on my own. That I am capable of selecting and completing parts of the process without assistance. Which leads me to IKEA again, and what researchers have dubbed the IKEA effect. And what exactly is that? Well. That's where today's podcast gets interesting, because not long ago, I decided to spend my Saturday morning in the parking lot of my nearby IKEA store, with microphone in hand, and literally approached patrons of this well-known Swedish establishment to find out if they have ever heard of the IKEA effect, and in some instances, what they thought it meant. What follows is a sampling of actual responses I received, but I need to apologize in advance. I neglected to switch back my microphone on the correct settings for this type of engagement, but I've tried to turn up the volume with a bit of hissing so you could hear those interviewed. Have you ever heard the concept or term, the IKEA effect? Oh, maybe. Have you ever heard of a concept called the IKEA effect? No. Have you ever heard of the financial concept, the IKEA effect? No. So, what do you think it may mean? Um, I would say it has something to do with the marketing or business strategy of 
um, you know, getting a consumer, a certain niche of consumer, um, easy, low cost, um, oh, or it could be setting up the showrooms, and that could be the effect, is wanting the consumer to think, if I get this light fixture, my living room will look more like this. Have you ever heard of the term, the Ikea effect? The Ikea effect? I have not. I think it means, if I may ask a third question. I mean, well, I mean, I know it's the design and marketing, but it's, that's every store. It's kind of like Walmart, like, you know. Yeah, but it's, it's all psychological. Have you ever heard of the concept or term, the Ikea effect? No. No. Do you want to guess what that may mean? I have no clue. Have you ever heard the term the Ikea effect? No. Do you want to guess what that may mean? Um, um, I guess walking in and spending more money than you intend to. Concept called the Ikea effect. Have either one of you known that term before I mentioned it? No. I think that may mean. I wouldn't even know where to start. Is there's a concept called the IKEA effect. Do either one of you does that sound familiar? Do either one of you know what that means? I've heard about it. I didn't. I, I've heard about it briefly before. What do you think it means, if I may ask? Um, I would say it's more kind of like what what supermarkets do when they put all the produce with the colors and everything in the front, so that people could get drawn to like spending money. The IKEA effect, if I'm not mistaken, I heard briefly was the way they designed that layout, it's because you know everything's psychological, right? It it causes you to walk through like the little little places where they sell like little pots and little you kits and things and that. Before you know it, you see yourself picking stuff up and by the time you're at the checkout you only went for a couch. Now you have a whole merchandise, a cart full of stuff that you really didn't need or wanted to get. Concept called the IKEA effect. Have you ever heard that term? No. I have heard the term, but I don't remember what it means. I have. Oh, you do? Yeah, I have. What do you think it means? I don't even know. Do you want to guess, maybe? Um, that you shop a lot on Ikea. <laughs> that last response, by the way, came from a seven or eight-year-old kid. I absolutely loved it. Unfortunately, after asking close to 40 or more customers, no one was able to correctly answer the question. Now, you may have already discovered the answer on your own at this point of the episode, but let me define it. The IKEA effect helps to describe how people tend to value objects more if they had a hand in assembling or making it themselves. So, That was the startling discovery. Here are hundreds, if not thousands, of visitors to IKEA who are having an unknown love affair with IKEA because of this mysterious attraction. It also helps explain the satisfaction we receive from cake mixes and from the self-checkout counters at the grocery store. Getting back to my excursion at the IKEA parking lot, I got a little curious, and I was wondering if any of the employees knew what the IKEA effect is. So I figured, 
What the heck? Why don't I go inside and ask as many people who work there until they kick me out? Well, let me tell you, the experience was less positive than asking strangers in a parking lot. I only asked a few workers because the looks I received and concerns that my face was now on the security cameras made me feel uneasy. Because I too am in love with IKEA, and the last thing I want to be is forever banished from entering the store ever again. But I will say that I was able to obtain the responses of two employees, and just for fact, they too were unfamiliar with the concept. When we return after this quick break, let's talk about where else this pops up in your financial decision making and some final considerations on how it may be quite useful to your ability to manage your money. Do you consider yourself an influencer or responsible for new projects, management decisions, departmental initiatives, continuous improvement, talent acquisition or training where you work? then you may have recognized or have witnessed how biases and behavioral variability can influence organizational decisions and potentially impact your firm's future success. If you're seeking improved decision-making, better collaborative teamwork, and more measurable results, then you need DNA behavior. DNA behavior is at the forefront of understanding behavioral styles and will provide access to a platform that captures and addresses various influences, along with the tools to analyze and improve outcomes. Visit dnabehavior.com to learn more. The IKEA effect. So why is it such a big deal? Well, because it proves that getting involved or participate in decision processes gives you a sense of empowerment. In fact, let me ask you this. When you seek opinions and advice about how to save or spend your money, are you more receptive when someone dictates to you what you should do with your money? Or are you more receptive when someone recommends steps you can take with your money that you actually take those actions yourself? Anyone out there have kids? Because if you do, I'm sure that you've witnessed this in action. How receptive was your child when you tell them how they should spend their money? Leave me alone! Yeah, chances are they may even do the reverse of what you have advised. But what happens when you make them part of the process? Help them make their own decisions by using the money. Now, it doesn't guarantee that they're going to follow your advice, but it may help improve the outcome of the financially responsible choices that they make now and in the future. So let's talk about your retirement planning and this sense of empowerment, this sense of participating in the construction of your retirement planning can help you achieve your financial goals. And a lot of financial institutions know that. So they leverage what's called choice architecture. We actually talked about it back in season two, episode four, which is entitled I've changed my mind. Um, In essence, choice architecture are nudges that lead us to decisions that will help us achieve uh, more optimal benefits and solutions. So if you ever worked with a firm that offers a 401k or 403b plan, then you might recall the process you went through when first establishing your retirement goals and investment choices. 
There are various types of investment categories out there that include such things as stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, private investments, real estate, international and alternative investments, which you could probably lump in cryptocurrencies into that last category if you dabble in it. On top of that, pick a category like mutual funds and know that there were over 125,000 worldwide to choose from. That's clearly overwhelming, but you may also feel uncomfortable, maybe even less trusting, if your retirement plan sponsor dictated the specific funds. So just like that cake mix, they provide most of the ingredients that help determine your risk tolerance levels and your objectives to give you skin in the game. To select from a handful of investment choices so that just like the IKEA effect, you had a hand in building your retirement plan. But it's not just there either. If you've ever used a financial platform or app that involves borrowing, saving, or investing, such as a robo-advisor program, or even a program where the process cannot possibly begin until you participate by making a few selections of added ingredients of your own. Maybe it's choosing from a limited number of investments, as we mentioned, Maybe it's what you want to do with the spare change of each purchase you make, or perhaps it's quarterly savings bonuses and perks. At this point, I think now it's quite clear how you can see the IKEA effect and its impact on that empowerment, that feeling that you participated in making a decision, even if it's just one tiny sliver of the process. Which, by the way, brings me to artificial intelligence. It's pivotal to the success of many AI initiatives. In order for us to build trust, the use of AI in association with financial products, services, and tools is potentially greater when us humans still have a level of control, or at least a sense of control, when it comes to financial planning, purchasing, borrowing, and investing. And as we return back to IKEA, I realize that some people may not appreciate or desire to put furniture together. It's a personal preference. But what I can tell you is the IKEA effect is probably present somewhere in your life. Somewhere you are adding a small contribution to a pre-programmed or existing process to improve your satisfaction with the outcomes to build long-lasting relationships. And when it comes to anything we become attached to, who doesn't want a long-lasting relationship? As a copyright reminder, written permission is required to use any of the content shared. Any views expressed are my own and are not the opinion of any entity unless otherwise mentioned during the program. And since we are critical thinking creatures, these opinions are subject to change. For financial advice, consider consulting a licensed financial professional. And make sure to watch your inbox for the next exciting episode of Fin Wisdom.